Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader Store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. The Ben Jarowski Show, as I speak, is Friday, May 27, 2022. Here's the headlines in the New York Times. Give you an idea of what's going on in the world. Ben still has COVID. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's actually not a headline in the New York Times. I know it's big news in my life, but it hasn't quite reached the point where the New York Times will be covering it. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, been having, I've had it all week, as you know, listeners, and um, I had to cancel the regular show today, uh, the Oh What a Week show with De- uh, Dennis, Dr. D., uh, and I was sleeping through and I woke up, I go, I am determined. I'm ready to do this show. And I think I'm fortified by these horse pills I got from the doctor, uh, that he got through a, per, uh, a prescription he had with Joe Rogan. Uh, and so I'm feeling better already from those horse pills, which are the antiviral, uh, medication that I got. Uh, so here's the real headline, a lot, uh, more sobering, uh, and upsetting. We've been dealing with this all week uh, in this country. Families criticize police for delays in Texas rampage. The story is turning. Uh, the coverage is changing a little bit coming out of uh, Texas, where 19 school children and two teachers were killed. Mass shooting, another mass shooting. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and then we're going to dive right in. Take it away, distinguished guest. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be back. I'm uh, sorry you're not feeling well, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll plow through. I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University, contributing writer of the week and author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you know, like you and everybody else, uh, just uh, what a piece of news to digest. It's just, it's really horrible. So... <laughs> Well, it's just uh, one huge chunk of news after another to digest. Uh, I would have thought we'd be talking about the Georgia primaries, as interesting as they are, politically speaking. I was all set to talk about them. I actually had a, a couple conversations this week about them. As the Texas uh, primaries, the upcoming fight uh, the, in Texas between um, Beto O'Rourke and Greg Abbott, uh, between 
uh, what, 21st century democracy, small d, and uh, anti-Diluvian fascism. Uh, but uh, we'll hold off. We might get into it because, of course, the news was dominated by another mass shooting. And you sent me an article, a column that you wrote uh, from night, uh, 2017. So it's already four years old. And uh, I, I had not read it before, uh, David. It's one of your essays for the week. And it was just so insightful, folks. I think I'll post it uh, on our um, uh, Facebook page if, so you can read it. If not, just Google it. Uh, David Ferris, F-A-R-I-S. Uh, and uh, The Week, and you can find it. Um, it had to do, it was in the aftermath of another mass shooting uh, that took place four or five years ago, which is probably been forgotten by most people in this country because it's been overwhelmed by all the other mass shootings that have occurred since it. And while you were writing that story, you were doing a recitation of, about all the mass shootings that it had eclipsed, uh, which is just so frightening. And um, so why don't you just talk about some of the general observations uh, you made in that essay that is five years old and how uh, they're still relevant uh, to this day. Sure. Um, boy, man, I wish this was something we didn't have to do and talk about, you know, but, um, you know, Columbine, the massacre of Columbine happened when I was in college and it just feels like, you know, every year or so, um, sometimes more, there's another one of these just, uh, horrific mass shootings, um, that we all spend a week talking about and then forget about. And, um, you know, some of these things are easier to forget about than others. Um, but the, but the reality is that like, there's, um, you know, I call it a, a ritual of, of how we respond to these things. Um, you know, we're, Twitter didn't exist in 1998, obviously, but, um, you know, there's, there's immediate calls from the left for various uh, um, gun control measures, you know, ban um, assault weapons and uh, background checks and red flag laws and, um, you know, all the way up to including, let's get to work on repealing the Second Amendment. Um, you know exactly what people on the right are going to say, you know, it's uh, guns don't kill people, people kill people. And, um, this law, whatever your proposal is, you dumb lib, like this wouldn't have actually prevented this shooting because this person could have gotten their gun some other way. Um, and then, you know, because we live in such a dystopia, then there's like subcategories of mass shootings that we have to talk about. You know, there's like mass shootings at a concert, there's mass shootings at a church, then there's mass shootings at schools. Um, which are the subject of the most sort of like elaborately deranged right-wing proposals about how to prevent. Um, and so whenever there's a school shooting, it's like, uh, okay, let's arm the teachers. Uh, let's have all the teachers carry handguns. You know, um, I'm just trying to imagine my high school teachers being armed um, and it would not have prevented anything, I think. <laughs> so, but, uh, and that's no, no disrespect to my high school teachers, but they're, they're not, you know, they're not marksmen, right? Um, and so, and then there's, you know, Ted Cruz's idea about uh, only having one door in, into the school. And it's like, oh, okay, man, but I mean, what if they get in the one door? So, <laughs> you know, just, um, and then it's just, uh, the, the ritual has become so advanced. It's like, we are sharing the same articles. It's like somebody will share that, that art, that onion article, you know, the, the no way to prevent this from happening says uh, only nation where this regularly happens. And there's the guy that tweeted, uh, you know, once, once we didn't do anything in the, in the wake of the Sandy Hook uh, school shooting, you know, which was little kids, 
you know, the whole thing was over. I mean, once you're okay with, with children being murdered, it's, you know, what, like what's next? What, what could possibly move you to action? Um, and you know, the reporters fly in, they all get traumatized talking to the, to the parents and the, and the relatives of the shooters. And then eventually the reporters fly out. Um, the stories, you know, drop down to a, um, a drizzle and it's over, you know, and then we wait for the next one. And, um, I think that the, the one I was writing about there was the Sutherland Springs uh, shooting in Texas. I think 26 people were killed. Um, and I, yeah, it's just, it's really chilling. I mean, it, d- despite the fact that you're, I mean, I think you're far more likely to die in some ordinary act of gun violence. Um, uh, the mass shootings are a specific form of psychological terrorization for, for all of us. Um, just in the same way that terrorism is, you know, like terrorism, you're extremely unlikely to die in an act of terrorism, right? But the fact that you might um, die in this like really sort of like helpless way on a plane or, you know, um, it, it's it's terrifying. And each time it happens, it compounds the terror and the fear. Um, and I think the sense of hopelessness is um, is is well-earned, you know, it's that this has been going on for uh, more than two decades, uh, these kind of shootings. Um, and nothing has been done. Uh, nothing has ever been done really since the, since the assault weapons ban expired in 2004, there has been no meaningful, successful effort to, um, even to research the problem, um, in a, in a meaningful way. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I was going to post it, the, the piece online and I was like, well, that's self-aggrandizing. And it's like, I don't have anything else to say about mass shootings in general that, that I haven't already said, honestly. And so it, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's just really frustrating. And as, as a parent of a young child, you know, just, it's just, it was a difficult week. I mean, you imagine that happening to you and uh, it's just, it's like the worst thing you can imagine, you know, it really is. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, this is part of your uh, breaking down what people say uh, in reaction to the responses and, and how we, we resort to some of the same, uh, thoughts, tweets, uh, headlines, that onion headline gets quoted endlessly. Uh, I mean, in its own way, it's a brilliant piece of writing. Uh, it, the, the part about, uh, Sandy hook, which took back place in 2012, already 10 years ago that I think about politically, uh, is the way in which the right, uh, t- completely and utterly uh, dismissed it to the point where Alex Jones uh, was saying it didn't really happen. And then uh, survivors of the children who were killed in Connecticut filed suit against Alex Jones. Uh, and then the, the guy is such a coward. So he kind of backed down, didn't really back down. If he backed down, then he would... Uh, change his words when he was speaking depending which audience he was speaking to if you watch his deposition suddenly his memory didn't work uh and then he didn't turn over files i don't know if you follow that case i've been following it we talk about it with another guest uh from time to time because the it, the use of the law is in and of itself an interesting political tactic but um the point is is the right and alex jones is very much uh, as an important symbolic figure for the right. If, if there's somebody who's listening to the show doesn't know who Alex Jones is, he's a uh, uh, internet personality. Just Google him; you'll see his name. He's, 
If, and if you haven't heard of him, you're lucky. Uh, and uh, so he said it was a, a phony attack uh, that was designed uh, to drum up support to take away uh, our constitutional rights to own weapons. And Ted Cruz, what he said in the aftermath just a couple of days ago, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, was just an echo. He, he didn't go as far as Alex Jones and deny it, but he said every time there's a shooting, they try to take away our constitutional rights, which is the next step from that is to deny that the shooting happened and to turn yourself into a victim. And I just want to talk, uh, get your thoughts about this, uh, David. This, this is a peculiar part of the uh, right-wing cult. I call it a cult now. I call it MAGA. That's the name I give for it. Uh, it includes this, this notion that MAGA is never responsible for anything. They're always the wronged party. Uh, even when there's upsetting news involving the MAGA world, it's quickly turned on its head uh, to make MAGA the victim and somebody else the bad guy. And what's frightening to me is that this force, this cult force, controls half the country. So talk a little bit about the, this MAGA cult attitude toward uh, weaponry and how that kind of fits into the larger MAGA movement. Sure. Um, you know, th there's, um, there's some, there's some inter uh, history here that's really, really interesting in terms of the, the NRA and its place in our society. Um, I have a colleague at, um, at UIC who has done some research on this, and I'll, I'll send her name. But um, yeah, she might, you might want to have her on the show. She's really interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, until, this, until the 70s and 80s, the, the NRA was like a it was like a sporting club, you know, it was a, it was a, it was an organization dedicated to, um, hunting and, um, you know, had a, had a, had a broad membership of Americans who, um, who, you, you know, I think used guns mostly responsibly. Like, um, my, my mom's from Kentucky. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that. So I have multiple, um, uncles who are avid hunters. I have, uh, eaten a wild turkey that was shot, you know, an hour before, <laughs> by my relative, uh, and, uh, um, none of these folks were interested in, in mass murder, nor were they interested in, um, a, a cult, uh, built around worshiping a particular kind of weapon, you know, the, the kind of weapon that you see these maniacs carrying into target, um, in the States where that's legal. And starting in the eighties and nineties, the NRA became focused on, um, sort of like fear mongering around the second amendment. Um, and as the fear mongering went on and on and on, um, and, and the NRA became more tightly aligned with the Republican Party, um, it just sort of like organically happened that Republican politicians would adopt NRA talking points. And the NRA was was taken over by more and more extreme people. Um, somebody on Twitter today posted George H.W. Bush's resignation from the from the NRA, which happened in 1995 after the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, and so, you know, it's partially, it's, it's a, it has fallen victim to polarization, right? Where it's like, okay, so Democrats want gun control. P.S. I think gun control is a terrible phrase, um, in terms of how we want to, how we want to market this movement to, to have sensible gun laws. But, but that's, that's the reality. It's already out there. Um, and as, as the Democratic Party as the center of the Democratic Party moved toward, um, 
a position of wanting to to regulate guns more tightly. Democrats were uh, in in power when the assault weapons ban was passed in 1984, and there have been a lot of calls and thinking on the left about what to do about the Second Amendment. The NRA just dug in, um, and it dug into the point where, um, as you as you put it, has has become a cult like mentality around fending off even just like the slightest measures or the, or the weakest measures that might um, bring some sanity to to our gun laws and, and, and stop some of these mass shootings. If you remember after the Vegas shooting in 2017, where um, this guy just mowed down, I think it was 58 people and killed or injured 400 people, it's unbelievably horrific mass slaughter of human beings. And they, there was this brief moment where Congress said, we're going to ban bump stocks, uh, which is like a addition that you can put on your gun to make it, you know, a better killing machine. And even that, I mean, the NRA went after that. Um, and after a couple of weeks, the, you know, all the Republicans who had been entertaining the idea just folded and were like, that's it, we're out. And it's interesting because the NRA itself is, is a deeply hobbled organization right now. It's, it's, it's enmeshed in all kinds of legal and financial troubles. And people, I think, look at that and say like, well, the NRA is no longer a big force in our politics. And it's like, it doesn't have, it, you don't need the institutional NRA anymore to push Republican politicians in, in, in a certain direction because they all actually seem to believe all this stuff, right? More guns, less crime, all of this nonsense. Um, and so as, as our, our differences and our polarization has worsened, um, I think you see the Republican party just seeing any gun control measures as a Trojan horse for the mass seizure of their guns, which man, this is never going to happen. Right. Like no one, no one in this country is ever going door to door and seizing people's guns. Okay, this is not happening. There's never going to be a big buyback program where people turn in all their handguns. It's just this is not Australia, and I wish it was, but it's not. Um, and so they're mostly dealing in fantasies, um, whether that's uh, the, the you know black booted thugs of the UN or um, more uh, elaborate racist fantasies. Um, you know the the Republican Party is the party of, of guns. And the more you become entrenched in your identity as a Republican, the more likely you are to take these more extreme views on the issue of guns. That said, um, public opinion is very much not behind the Republican position on guns. Um, Gallup has been tracking attitudes about guns for, for decades. Um, the percentage of, of Americans that want less strict gun laws, which are, which are about to be imposed on us by our wonderful Supreme Court, um, 11% of the public thinks our laws are too strict. 52% want stricter laws, and I don't know, 37% thinks they're fine. Right? There is a majority for sensible gun reform policies. I don't know that there's a, a majority to, to repeal the Second Amendment, which is a fantasy anyway. But there is a there is a clear electoral public opinion and just basic logic majority to impose some new restrictions, um, put some additional obstacles in the way of certain kinds of people getting their hands on guns, ban certain kinds of weapons. Uh, this is all just like basic common sense. Um, and it is our broken political system that continues to prevent it from happening. Uh, and unfortunately, we the Democrats are kind of holding the ball right now because again, as we talked about a million times on the show, <laughs> we run Washington and there's two or three knuckleheads in the Senate who are going to pre prevent probably anything meaningful from happening. 
I hope to be proven wrong about that. I, that there, there are bipartisan meetings happening right now, but those bipartisan meetings happened after the, the Vegas shooting too, and nothing happened. And those bipartisan meetings happened after Sandy Hook and nothing happened. Um, the only thing that's going to keep this story in the news any longer than, um, than most of these shootings are the, you know, the sort of the horrific nature of the, of the victims, right? There's something about um, murdered children that I think is particularly strikes a nerve with a lot of people. And then there's the, this unfolding scandal about how the police apparently just like sat there for an hour and a half um, and, and, and just let them kill everyone in that classroom. Uh, kids were calling 911 from the classroom and they were just like a, like they were uh, at Waco or something, just waiting for the siege to end um, rather than thinking about an active shooter who was about to kill a bunch of people. So that's it. Those are, that's the best, <laughs> the best way I can recap it is um, this, this sort of deranged position on guns has become the default thinking of one of our two major political parties that commands, you know, 46, 47% support from the public. Not all Republicans believe necessarily the most extreme version of that, of that gun story, but they don't disbelieve it enough to vote against Republicans. Well, this is what I was getting at. Uh, you, you point out that uh, the polls show that there's widespread support uh, for meaningful gun reform. I'll use that terms. We get into the issue of the phrase gun control in a little bit, but uh, I'll use gun reform. Uh, and um, I liken it to uh, the uh, the cult uh, in the Republican Party that believes that Donald Trump lost the last election. And I liken what uh, quote unquote moderate Republican officials, uh, how they respond to the accusation of uh, that that the election was stolen. And very few of them, I mean, this is such cowards, very few of them say, guys, wake up, smell the coffee, we lost. Okay? They may say something like, listen, Joe Biden is our president, which is such a passive-aggressive thing to say. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, he could have stolen it, but there's no getting over it. He, you know? You know, or they'll say, yeah, there were clear evidence of uh, fraud and people are right to be. Uh, no, there was no evidence of fraud. The only fraud is you. You're a fraud. So in in uh, Georgia this week, Brian Kemp uh, defeated David Perdue, who is an advocate of Trump, Perdue, of uh, stole the election, particularly in Georgia. Uh, and Kemp had said, no, Biden won Georgia, which he did. And he and Kemp was it victorious? He mopped the floor with Purdue. So I, I'm like, is it possible that if like one Republican grew a pair and just said to the to it's it, to like the gun cultists, we need new laws. I don't not taking away your rifle to go shoot turkeys. We need new laws. You don't like it? Vote against me next election. I mean. David, I've been waiting for that to happen. And you're right. I, we get these after one of these shootings. There may be bipartisan talks, which is such a joke. We'll get into the myth of bipartisanship in a little while. But do you follow what I'm saying? Do you, do you think there will ever be a moment where they challenge the cult wisdom? And I have wisdom in quotes uh, of the gun cultists, the way they challenged, at least Brian Kemp did, uh, the election stealing myth look anything is possible um i think he'd first have to return 
<laughs> You'd first have to return control of the Republican Party over to sane people. Um, I mean, what happened in Georgia this week was quite interesting. Uh, Trump's record on these primary endorsements so far is not is not great. Um, he, he was barely able to get Dr. Oz over the finish line. Dr. Oz is already famous in, in Pennsylvania. And and uh, David Perdue got clobbered. I'm, I'm not convinced necessarily that that's the Georgia Republican electorate saying, I believe the results of the 2020 election as much as David Perdue just sucks. <laughs> a terrible politician, just yeah. like an old dead Ridge zombie who has spent his life grifting off, off the, off the backs of working people and people dislike him. He's, he's an unlikable human being. And I hated to have to be rooting for Brian Kemp because Brian Kemp was of course responsible for he said, like, okay, I believe the results of the 2020 election. However, the first thing we're going to do yeah. in 2021 is pass a law uh, by making sure that fewer people can vote next time around. So they, they play this slate of hand where uh, even the Republicans who um, want to affirm the outcome of the 2020 election generally support the same set of measures that the conspiracy theorists support to make it harder to vote. And uh, the coalition... The Democratic coalition in, in Georgia is very clever. I, I think they've already found some workarounds to get people to the polls. And um, that does not, in fact, ter- primary turnout was up from 2018. You know, it's kind of the last similar primary in Georgia. So those suppression measures didn't really work. Those, they weren't even what I was really worried about. Anyway, it's the, it's the um, buried in that law is, uh, is the ability of the state legislature to seize control of elections from, from local election boards. Yeah, so, that's a little worrisome. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. not start patting each other on the back just yet. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm very worried about the next couple of election cycles in Georgia, but um, if we're thinking about like what breaks a fever, you know um, what could loosen the grip of the gun cult on the Republican party. It's, it's like, man, if this doesn't do it for you, <laughs> you know, if, if if 19, 9 and 10 year olds and two teachers murdered inside of a classroom with the same weapon that has been used in almost every single one of these mass shootings for the last 20 years, almost every single one has been an AR-15. Um, if that doesn't spur you to some kind of an action, I, I just don't know what would, because there seems to be a, an almost limitless ability of Republicans to, to um, use sort of motivated reasoning and... And think about like what it's like they want to blame everything but the gun everything but the gun go over i do this because i torture myself sometimes ben i go over and i read like the federalist and breitbart and the national review especially after something like this happens because i'm like i i have this weird fascination with seeing how the the gears of propaganda grind how slowly or quickly they work um you know like when when president former president trump threatened uh the president of ukraine on a phone call that we all heard. And then the Republican party came up with this like uh, alternate narrative about it. The phone call was great. No problem. You could see this happening in real time, right? You could see some Republicans even in their elite media outlets being like, this this seems like a little bit bad. Maybe he shouldn't have done that. And then over the course of the next like three to four to five days, you see them coming up with some sort of elaborate rationale for it. You know, Oh, you remember this? It was, Ukraine was corrupt. Um, and so the, the president was just trying to to get our ally to be less corrupt. Some, so, you know, some nonsense like this, right? Um, or it's Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, and and today it's uh, there was an I think it was uh, an American greatness or one of these uh, fetish outlets of their cult. Um, you know, the real problem is not guns, but the decline of the American family. Uh, the real problem is not guns, but fill in the blank, right? 
um, video games, blah, 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 anything but the gun itself. And it's been interesting to me that they have not yet been able to spin the performance of the police force in this town. I went to every propaganda website today <laughs> looking for how they were going to spin it. You know, like, oh, there's too many women on that police force. Or, oh, there's a lot of brown people there. I don't know if they should be cops. Or, well, I don't know. I don't know what the possible excuse could be, but they have not come up with one yet. You know, and that's always fascinating to me when they cannot explain this obvious atrocity away uh, of the cops just like staking the place out while children are being murdered. Um, and it's, it's, so that's that's a sign that something broke through there and they'll just toss this police force under the bus and, and move on. Like that's, that's obviously what's going to happen here. They'll just be like, yeah, well, those were bad cops. We'll make sure that we get better cops and uh, we need more cops at the schools, even though the cops at the schools have been incapable of stopping any of these shootings ever. Um, and even though, you know, elementary and high school teachers, in addition to everything else they have to deal with, should not have to carry a gun around all day and plan to, to murder people or protect their, their students from being murdered. Anyway, I'm rambling. I think, <laughs> I don't think this is going to do it. If, if that's, if that's what, what we're getting at here, um, the right has already responded and it's all of its most predictable ways to this shooting. Um, it doesn't matter how horrific it is. It doesn't matter uh, whether the victims are children or adults or, or churchgoers or black or white or whatever. They don't care. You know, they, their line is always, we don't want this, this tragedy to be used to interfere with our constitutional rights. Um, and in my mind, it's all getting worse. You know, there's, there's more politicians wanting to be, to run campaign ads with the AR-15 strapped over their, over their shoulder. This is like ISIS stuff, you know, like this is like pure terrorism 101, right? Just fetishization of weapons, fetishization of violence. It has infected the Republican party. The whole institution is shot through with it. Uh, and of course the critical vote in the Senate that could actually get anything done is our, our man in Havana there, Joe Manchin. We made it 20, 31 minutes without talking about Joe Manchin. And Joe Manchin, go back and watch some of his uh, campaign videos from 2018. He has a whole he has a whole ad in which he's like shooting things. Um, it, it's he's a gun nut, right? Like the, the the key Democratic vote on gun on gun reform is is a gun nut. So, and I actually don't think that he's the only one. Um, I think that people like John Tester from Montana would be very hard to get on board with anything other than you know, ban bump stocks or make it harder for mentally ill people to get guns. Um, and those, you know, anything would help, right? Like I would be cheered by any, literally anything coming out of the U S Senate. But, um, in terms of breaking the feather among, among the Republican party, I honestly, like somebody could go and, and like shoot up the Republican caucus and Congress and the next day, like they'd be like 15 dead Republican senators and they'd be like, well, it's a tragedy, but, uh, those are their constitutional rights. You know, guns don't kill people. People kill people. I mean, somebody shot people at a congressional softball game, baseball game. Yeah. Remember this? Steve Scalise almost died. It yeah. didn't, didn't do anything. Scalise woke up from his surgery and was like, yay, guns, you know, Second Amendment. <laughs> so, well, no, they, they blame that one on Bernie Sanders. That still right. lives. Uh, that, that, that incident still, that's one of the few that still lives that they'll talk about. Because I get, I don't go to the websites. I've told you this many times. I don't go to the websites like you do, which is a, uh, I think, a cry for help just between the two of us. Uh, the websites come to me, so they send me the emails. I talk about this on the show all the time, and and I, since I never disconnect from them, I just get more and more. Like I'm not I don't know if you're aware of this, but Sarah Palin is running for Congress in Alaska. In fact, mm-hmm. I know because I get at least five Sarah Palin email. And some of which are uh, uh, an hour, an hour. And the headline 
most recent one was um, I'm back. <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding. Who, who sanctioned that? I'm back. Uh, <laughs> I'm back. Wow. Quit her uh, job halfway through her term. What is wrong with her? I don't know. She's, well, so, uh, but uh, what the first thing they would do, uh, just so you know, and I know their line is um, after in the incident, if it, uh, let's say your example, they would say, um, let's not sully this moment of mourning by bringing in politics as if their entire stance is not <laughs> drenched in politics. I know. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'll tell you, in many ways, covering Chicago politics has prepared me for this, uh, David, but it's it's usually in a lower um, stake. So in Chicago, they always, Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daley would always say, let's not put politics in our schools by, by having democracy elected school board. Somehow or other, overlooking the fact that they controlling the schools is not in any way political, you know. Um, all right, uh, you you mentioned this uh, almost as a um, in passing, and uh, I remember having a conversation on the air once uh, with a uh, uh, a proponent of gun reform, and she gently chastised me for calling it gun control. And she said that it makes it that much harder for us to win and prevail uh, if you call it gun control. So I think she said the word at the time was gun uh, safety or maybe it was gun reform. I don't know. I can't remember. I just like, I'm like, you're blaming me for this? <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> like, I didn't come up with the phrase, you know? <laughs> no, but you think that's what? Anyway, uh, so talk about that. Talk about uh, the... The, the problems with gun control and how that may be a t- deterrence uh, to passing meaningful reforms. And if you want to compare it to the problems with uh, defund the police, go ahead. Sure. I, I mean, we've talked many times on the show um, about messaging and we've talked many times on the show, I think about status quo bias in American politics. That is, there's a tendency for people to, respond to reform questions in a poll supportively. And then when it comes time to actually implement the change that they were asked about and that the politicians were, were elected to enact, uh, they get squeamish or they turn against it. And part of that is the, the coalition of people whose interests would be harmed by the change are disproportionately motivated to prevent it from happening. So, you know, a great example of this is the, is the fight over the Affordable Care Act, over Obamacare. Uh, polling consistently showed the whole thing in, in negative territory throughout Obama's second term. Um, you know, in, in other words, the majority of Americans wanted the, would tell pollsters they wanted the whole thing overturned. And then lo and behold, Trump gets into office and people are confronted with the reality of what overturning the ACA would actually mean. And some small percentage of people who just mindlessly told a pollster like, boo, Obamacare, I hate it. That's bad, bad socialism, hate it, death panels, boo. <laughs> when they were seriously debating the law to overturn it, and they were like, oh, wait, so if I already had cancer, I can't have health insurance anymore again? That the way it used to work? Well, that sucks. Let's not do that. <laughs> you know, um, That is the, the, there was a coalition of uh, patient rights groups and progressive activists and 
other folks who in a very meaningful sense were, were suddenly backed into a corner and confronted with the reality that key, key aspects of their healthcare would change for the worse, leaving many of them uninsured permanently um, and, and in worse shape. And that message got through to enough people that, that basically the day after Trump was elected, people, a majority of Americans said, I, you know, I actually like that ACA. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, and I do think it's an example of, you know, the people who have already been sick, what we call Orwellian language, um, pre-existing conditions. Yeah were disproportionately motivated to fight back against the, the potential repeal of the ACA. Like it's an abstraction until it's not an abstraction. Um, and so to, to bring it back to gun control, um, obviously if, if we were ever to elect a government that could make serious strides toward far reaching changes in our, in our gun regime here, which is really just lunatic fringe by global, by, by global standards. So like the things that we allow people to do in this country are just, are just deranged. And we need we need much broader changes than than a red flag law or um, additional scrutiny of people with mental health issues. Uh, not to mention the fact that like every time we we talk about mental health, it, it's there's a real danger of people going too far um, in their scrutiny of people. Not not vis-a-vis -vis guns, right? But like additional social scrutiny and scorn for people with mental illness is not, I necessarily think, a great thing. So by calling it gun control. <laughs> You are, no pun intended, shooting yourself in the foot a little bit because imagine something that you really like um, and then your political adversary is talking about controlling it. You know, for me, that would be like gin control. You know, somebody was went around saying like, this gin is the problem in America. We got to have, we got to have real you know, gin control. And I might be more inclined to support gin reform. You know, it's like uh, certain, you know, certain brands of gin are too strong. You can't have gin more than 80 proof. I don't really know what these numbers are, right? But, um, you know, if there's, a, if there's a real social problem being caused by something that you love or that is important to you, you may be more receptive to a message of nibbling around the edges of that problem than, than abolishing it. Um, and there's already like way too much talk in America about abolishing this and that. Nothing ever gets abolished. So yeah. let's, um, let's craft a message that we think could get through to people. You know, the, the hardcore gun nuts who are going to carry an AR-15 and um, into Mariano's and just to shop <laughs> just because they like to have it. They like the feel of it on their shoulders. Those people are unreachable. Um, but I don't think the unreachable gun nuts are really more than like 30 percent of the population. The other 17, 18 percent of Republicans are just sort of blindly following the partisan messaging that's coming out of their out of their leadership. And in my mind, <clears throat> there's no harm in trying I know I wouldn't spend a million dollars on it, but uh, and no, and there's no harm in, in trying to craft a message that might that might reach some of those folks. Um, and it's depressing because I've I don't know if it's because of my browsing habits or what, but I mean, he, he for Sandy Hook was twelve it was ten years ago, right? So in in all of my internet stuff for ten years, I get the you know the Sandy Hook promise and the Mom Demand Action, all of which is just these most heartbreaking heartbreaking tales of. Uh, of the kids who were killed at that school. Um, and, and yet here we are, you know, I mean, those groups have done great work, great advocacy work. The, the Parkland kids did great advocacy work after this, after the school shooting in Parkland, Florida. And yet that's, you know, a year later, I don't think it was a year. Um, you know, Ron DeSantis is elected governor of Florida. Yeah. And the, the reality is as horrified as we all are right now, um, or at least those of us with a soul, are horrified by what happened this week. 
this, the, the news cycle is going to move on and, and, and mass shootings are, again, it's like, it's an abstract, they're abstractions until they're not abstraction, but 95% of the time they are an abstraction and you're not likely to experience one. And so building a movement around uh, a relatively rare event, obviously much more common than it should be in the United States, but building a big successful movement around something that rarely happens and is highly unlikely to happen to you is tough. That's that's a really tough thing in politics yeah. to, to build, to keep momentum going. Um, and it's why the like really feckless leadership of the Democratic Party just like drives me nuts again and again, because this is the period. We are in the period right now, the five to 10 day period where something could happen. And instead of just doing it, you get the same familiar, like, we're going to get a gang of eight together with, uh, you know, the same four usual suspects, you know, Collins, Murkowski, um, you know, uh, I don't know who else (laughs) is in that gang of eight from the Republican side. But it's like, okay, so gang of eight, we need 60 votes to do anything. You're still six votes short of of doing a a damn thing about this, you know? And so I, I... I would be surprised, but not blown away, if if a if a bare you know sixty two vote majority of the Senate voted to, I don't know, t- you know tighten red flag laws or, or expand red flag laws into states where they don't exist or something that's good but that really nibbles around the edges of the problem. I I, I would again would be very surprised if that happened, but not blown away. Well, the I, I is it's not going to solve the underlying problem. Yeah, right? it won't solve the underlying problem, and I would hope. Uh, that uh, David Ferris's nightmare uh, would be shared this time around as we head into 2022 midterms. And the nightmare, of course, is the one that he said many times uh, that he Joe Manchin would be the deciding vote. Remember you saying this, this pathetic <laughs> moment, like October of 2020, uh, and you were having this nightmare. And it, it came true. Uh, and so here we are two years later, and the reality is that Democrats could pass meaningful gun reform. Let's call it gun improvement, okay? The yeah. Gun love. They could pass meaningful gun love. There you go, gun lovers. Gun love. You know, let's just flip it around. Like this is what Republicans do all the time. So they could pass meaningful gun love if they didn't have to worry about the filibuster. They wouldn't have to worry about the filibuster uh, if they had control of the Senate. They don't have control of the Senate. Get control of the Senate. Gun law would just be right on the list with uh, making D.C. a state. I mean, we're right there on the cusp of that, mm-hmm. you know, and um, passing uh, extensive social assistance programs. Uh, dealing with student debt, all these things. I just want to put that out there, folks. Just think of David Ferris's nightmare. Get rid of Joe Manchin, not at, by defeating him at the polls. You can't do that, but by taking his sting away. Because mm-hmm. if you have all you need are fifty-two. Although I got a feeling that cinema might come around, and well, whatever, fifty-two. We need. 52 and that would do it and then it doesn't matter what cinema and or mansion do all right um feckless leadership you mentioned it we'll close by discussing uh tom friedman who is not a democratic leader but acts like one uh he is a columnist for the new york times and uh, uh i've made this observation many times i read him on a regular basis as i do all the new york times 
um, columnists, because similar to you uh, with the right, I want to know what's been like, you know, uh, neoliberals are going to put out. What are we? <laughs> what's the spin they're going to put out? You know what I'm saying? Or maybe they can convince me. Very rare. Uh, to look at the world in a new way. So he wrote this one the other day that was so atrocious. They like should t- if you get a journalism card, they should take it away from the guy. I was a column about his lunch with Biden, but the ground rules of the lunch were such that it was off the record, so he's not allowed to share any of the things that Biden said. So it raises the point. Why would you talk about a lunch you had with the president of the United States if you can't quote any of the things he said, if it's not to just brag about how I had lunch with the president? Oh, wait, I figured it out. It's to brag about how I had lunch with the president and this embarrassing recitation of what they ate for lunch. Uh, I don't know if, you know, including the milkshake at the end. (laughs) Sorry, the COVID's kicking in. It's just was astoundingly bad column writing. Uh, and can't believe that he has. No, I guess I can't believe it. Such valuable real estate uh, to put stuff like this up at the New York Times editorial page. But here's the point I want to bring up with you. In that column, the part that got overlooked, I thought, because by the menu of what they ate and the milkshake, he tried to, he was, the theme was that this country, uh, is at this crisis moment because of its divisions. And then he started doing a likeness. Like, there's people on the right are going in and shooting up grocery stores in Buffalo. And people on the left are, like, booing people at college campuses when they give speeches. And David, I was like, wait a minute. This is what I would call a huge false equivalence. You know, you're comparing booing, I don't know, some idiot, right winger, uh, Ann Coulter, to shooting up a grocery store. And then he went on to compare election deniers to defund the police people. Whereas, like, election deniers dominate the Republican Party. As you've said it many times, nobody in the Democratic, no elected official in the Democratic Party is going anywhere near the defund police motto or the program for that matter. It just illustrated the fecklessness of Democrats. Just like, just, that should just be exhibit A. The self hatred and loathing that's embedded in that column where you compare people in your party to the most vile political creatures oozing out of the muck. I I don't know how Democrats can save this country, uh, David, and we're looking to them to do so, if the prevailing wisdom in their party, of their party leaders, is like Friedman, like defund the policers are the same as election deniers. Somebody who boos Anna Coulter or doesn't want her to show up at campus is like, a gunman in Buffalo. So please talk about that. Uh, the the notion of false equivalence, how it plays in the Democratic Party and how, in their attempts to sort of like distinguish themselves 
from their ver- their their base that they gonna. I can't see think of anything like it in Republican politics. They want to de- separate themselves from their freaking base in order to get elected. It's mindless. Take it away. It is, and I I, I read your column. It's a great column. I, there's there's I had actually read this a few days ago when you, when you asked me about it. Um, and I, I'd already read your column, and it's there's the, we have no daylight between us on our on our take about this. Um, but I do I do have some thoughts first. Tom Friedman is the worst columnist on the face of the earth. Okay. He is not just like, he hasn't had an original thought in 25 years, which he has not. He is a horrendous writer. Like at the craft of writing, he, he would fail at like an introductory composition class in college. This dude is the king of mixed metaphors. You know, he'll be like, uh, a rock is like a Sunday, you know? And when you get the straw into the Sunday and you start, you start slurping out the cookies, you find yourself in a, in a, in a magic beans house. You know, like the the metaphor is just, it's like he doesn't have an editor. I don't know what his deal is with the New York Times, but someone at the New York Times should be like, so Tom, um, this sentence has four metaphors in it and they all clash with each other. Could we maybe pick one and go with it and use that metaphor for the rest of the column? Or do you actually want to use four? That's up to you. Um, the only the only other columnist who's, who's comparably bad um, is no longer a columnist. That's John Cass, who used to be the, our very own John Cass. Yeah, it was just horrendous. Anyway, uh, I think he's decamped to Substack along with everybody else that, that can't hold a job in journalism because they're so horrible. But um, Tom Friedman, oh my gosh. So the 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 false equivalency in this article is horrifying. The, there is another thing lurking here that horrifies me about this whole this whole thing, which is that the fact that Joe Biden was having lunch with Tom Friedman to begin with. Okay. The only reason that Joe Biden should be having lunch with Tom Friedman is to tell him to retire and to turn his column over to someone who's still, who's still conscious and has learned something in the past 20 years. Okay. This is the same Tom Friedman that went on PBS in 2003 and to justify the war in Iraq said like, basically, you know, every once in a while, you just got to say to somebody, you know, like suck on this, said this on national television. The whole purpose of the, the invasion of Iraq was to, you know, was to tell people to, to, to suck on it. You know, that was the that was the justification for that invasion. This man has been wrong about every single thing that has happened in the 21st century. And for him to go out there and equate um, some students upset that, uh, uh, you know, Ann Coulter is coming to talk on their campus with with mass murder and the and the overthrowing of the democratically elected um, leadership of the United States of America. It's just it's it's such a symptom of, of the way that uh, that, uh, that the press and I think a lot of people are incapable of separating, like evaluating the severity of, of various positions that they might find extreme, you know? Oh, someone on the left wants to defund the police and they set it in a, in a rally somewhere. Um, but it's like people on the right that are, com- that are committing just one act of, of violence after another um, seems like they're preparing for civil war. They're certainly preparing to steal the 2024 election. And that you still have this cadre of like ostensibly center left people like Friedman, who are like every, you know, just think about the amount of column inches that you're turning over to, to cancel culture and to complaining about it, um, as opposed to the number of column inches that you that you dedicate to the to the to the very real problems that are afflicting this country. You know, like, I'm sorry you didn't like your HR training about, um, you know, about uh, a sexual harassment or whatever. <laughs> you know, It's not the same as mass murder. It's not the same as a, as a wholesale abandonment of the commitment to to democracy and, and the peaceful transfer of power between parties. And that's, that's one of our biggest problems right now. One of our biggest problems is not cancel culture. You know, um, the people who've been canceled are all on comedy tours, making millions of dollars. And Barry Weiss makes like a, a gazillion dollars on our sub stack. And I can't I really honestly cannot think of a single person 
who has been the um, you know the subject of one of these cancel culture freakouts who who actually has lost their livelihood in any meaningful way. So, um, and Friedman is surely one of these people that's like, oh, you know, I'm a Democrat, but I don't like the term Latinx or whatever, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah. You, you can be, feel free to not like the term Latinx, but it does not rise to the level of importance of the other things that are facing this country. Yeah. So um, it's just, it's a way of sort of lazily picking on um, some, you know, some dumb story that you read out of Oberlin College cafeteria, the student union at Stanford, Um the right way, the right has this incredible talent to, to pluck away obscure stories that should stay obscure. And then to get center left columnists like Tom Friedman and Jonathan Chait to write about it all the time. Yeah. And it drives me insane. And the, the, it, it reminds me, this is, I'll, I'll close it up after this, I promise. <laughs> and I know that I talked about polarization a lot on the show already today, but I do think that the polarization discourse is limiting. Because at at the end of the day, what we have right now in the United States is really not a polarization problem. Um, The problem is that we have two political parties, and one of them is an authoritarian cult. One of them is is, is no longer committed to to the procedures of electoral democracy. Um, It it is shot through with violent imagery and and the worship of of, of violence and the encouragement of violence against people on the left. Um, it's, It's how you get people like Kyle Rittenhouse, and I don't Sorry, I've erased the name of the Buffalo shooter from my head. But this guy, you know, same, you know, just like you copy paste the manifesto. It, they, they all talk about political correctness and stuff. Um, and, you know, they're just angry young men. Um, and the Republican Party is catering to these people and they depend on these people to be elected. And the problem is really at this point not um, that like Bernie Sanders and uh, and Ted Cruz couldn't find a piece of legislation to compromise on because they're they're ideologically so distinct. The, the, the problem is that we are in real danger of losing our democracy um, and thus our right to peacefully change the leadership of the country to to a group of, of violent authoritarianisms who want to restore white male hierarchy in the country. And people like Tom Friedman are just playing right into their hands every time he writes. Uh, and he complains about the woke mafia or whatever it is he, he wants to say about it. Um, speakers on campuses, defund the police. Um, you, you know, it's like, we, uh, there's no, there's no master switch controlling the activist left. You know, sometimes they're going to say things people don't like, sorry about that, but uh, it's not the same problem. And Tom Friedman, please just put the pen down, go retire. Um, before, before Matt Taibbi became like this weird right-wing figure, he, he did a series of articles. I think it was for the New York press back in the day. In which he would review Tom Friedman's books and and take them down. And I should send it just. I encourage your, your listeners to to Google this because he did a wonderful, wonderful takedown of the writing itself. Um, the one that sticks in my mind is when Tom Friedman was writing about Iraq during the Iraq War, and he said, uh, "You know, sometimes uh, you know to get the rotten flowers out, you got to break the vase." <laughs> and you're like, "Why wouldn't you just pour the water out of the vase and change the flowers? Like, why do you got to yeah. break the vase?" <laughs> but that, that's like the level of thinking that's the, the yeah tom Friedman. and by the way i'll just close when you when you referred to uh his comments in 2003 i just want to uh, re- remind listeners it was the same impulse in 2003 as in uh, 2022 when he um bashes quote-unquote defund the police it's an attempt to isolate yourself remove yourself from the base of the Democratic Party or the left wing of the Democratic Party in order to sort of what show that you're a real ordinary guy 
every man and you're going to win over swing voters. It's kind of the same impulse. It comes from the same thing. It's also uh, not working. It's not working. No, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't work. Take a freaking stand, you know, believe yeah. in something. And but yeah, just the notion of just launching a war in which thousands and thousands of people will die just for the sake of launching a war to show you can launch a war. And that's just, you're going to have to live with it is some really twisted. Wow. I'd forgotten that one. I guess it's only so much you can take. I just put that out of my mind, but yeah, that is, um, uh, all right. That is some freaking, uh, weird logic. Uh, somehow or other, I got through uh, this conversation without, coughing too much mm -hmm. without breaking down uh and i think uh, uh i'm stronger mentally for it now i'm gonna go take a nap all right okay Good having that. uh done all this great conversation so thank you very much david uh and for being so flexible in the schedule today and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks right thanks man i really hope you feel better keep an eye on the uh what they call the paxlovid rebound you know it's uh some people have taken this thing for five ten days and then the symptoms come back so just keep an eye on it. Take your horse pills. Don't stop taking them until you're done. You know? Got, oh, so some people stop taking the pills and then it comes back? No, I think that some people complete the course of treatment and then it comes back and then they have to they have to go back on it. It's very rare, but it's uh but it's something to keep an eye on. Okay. One more thing for me to worry about. Know, uh, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Uh thank you very much, David Ferris. That's David Ferris. I'm Ben Drowski. Take care, everybody. <laughs>